As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. This is a podcast from The Times. Go to thetimes.co.uk. Welcome to the Game Podcast. I'm Gabriel Marcotti, and I'm about to deliver 40 minutes of total football right into your ears. It's kind of kinky, isn't it? But I can't do it on my own, so it's a good job that I'm joined by Patty Barkley, Ben Smith, and broadcasting from his secret bat cave in lovely Rippenden, it's Ollie Kay. Later on, I'll be asking my panel if uh, a player who suffers uh, racial abuse from an opponent on a football pitch is duty-bound to report it. But first, we start at Stamford Bridge. Right, Chelsea and Liverpool. Um, Patty, I'm going to begin with you. Yeah. I was struck by this by this Liverpool lineup. I, and I want to. I mean, I know we'll get stuck into Chelsea, but I looked at it and uh, and and I sort of thought to myself, all right, you know, this is kind of where where, where Dog Leash kind of earns his penny. He's not afraid to to go and and, and change things around. I certainly wasn't expecting Maxi and Downing on the bench and Henderson on the bench. Carroll on the bench. We're kind of getting used to. Mm. Um, what did you What did you make of it? I mean, is it a case of, of Douglas really sort of tweaking and tailoring things to the opposition? Yeah, I, I, I definitely think so. They will have. Uh, I, I would say um, Steve Clark uh, probably designed the team, uh, but uh, the, the Douglas's assistant and, of course, the former Chelsea stole. But but. Uh, there were, there were, he'd obviously looked at Chelsea, looked at the, the way they defend deep and without any method. And, um, I mean, the pressure was ferocious. I mean, for me, the highlight of the match was an incident just before the first goal, Liverpool's, uh, before Liverpool took the lead, where Chelsea got penned in the corner of the field where the visiting fans uh, sit, you know, to the, the left of the main stand there. And, I mean, Chelsea did everything to work the ball out. And eventually, I mean, every time they tried to turn, there was a Liverpool player on them. And it was it was wonderful. I love watching that kind of pressing in, in that kind of area. And eventually, I think it was Ramirez just thought, you know, I've just got to give away a throw in here. And it was a great roar from the Liverpool fans. And you thought, yeah, they've got them by the um, throat. And uh, sure enough, they scored 30 seconds later because Czech, you know, just um, I mean, Czech got a lot, lot of the blame. But I mean, Mikel trying to turn in a situation like that was was just deplorable. And uh, and Liverpool then scored, you know, one of those goals that coaches love, you know, um, you know, win it, win it as high and 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 do do in the net. It was Barcelona football, and. Um, Anyway, that, that, that for me showed all that was right about uh, Liverpool and all that's hideously wrong about Chelsea. Ollie, you're, you're, you're closer to Anfield than the rest of us. Did, did you see this lineup coming? 
Um, with hindsight, yes. <laughs> I, I, think, I, I think as soon as the um, as soon as the, the lineups landed in the press box yesterday afternoon, I think everybody was saying that that is the team to take on Chelsea. If you've got if you get enough of the ball, and if you can get it into those forward areas enough, then then that front four that Liverpool had Count Rodriguez, um, Bellamy, Suarez was certain to, to cause Terry and Louis problems because um, they're quick, they're tricky, they're clever in their movement, they'll drag people this way and that, and that's exactly what they did. It reminded me in some ways of the, of the way Ferguson approached the um, the Champions League ties against um, Chelsea last season when I, mean, I, I looked at that and I thought, God, does he know what he's doing here? Going 4-4-2 against Chelsea, aren't you going to be outnumbered in central midfield? And the key to it is not being, you know, he's competing well in midfield, he's standing your ground, passing the ball intelligently when you've got it, and just causing havoc when you go forward. Because that Chelsea back four, I mean, we've we've been saying for you know, for as long as, uh, well, for, for most of the past decade, Chelsea have always had a, a really good defence. Yet the last 18 months or so, it's um, it's it's creaked horribly, and never more so than in the in the last two home games against yeah. Arsenal, Liverpool. I think also, you know, you have to look at a defensive structure that is. What is very important is what's in front of the back four. Yeah, I know Luis is a joke, but uh, the, the, it's what's in front of the back four that's the problem. Ramirez can't really play, and uh, Mikel is an absolute disaster. I would say he's one of the weakest players in the Premier League. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, this is the club, after all, that defined, uh, thanks to Real Madrid, the uh, defensive midfield player role. You know, the Makaleli position, they call it to this day. I'd argue and, they call it that in England. And they, they, let's, let's be very clear on this. People have thought of having a defensive specialist in front of the back four uh-huh. years before, as you know, Patty. Yes. But I'm, it's w- just I'm aware of that. And, 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 uh, but, but you know what I mean? The Makaleli is probably the best... Uh, you you won't find a better example of a defensive, so-called defensive midfield player than than Claude Makélélé, and and this is a position that that Chelsea have Arsenal haven't filled it since Gilberto Silva. It's the most underrated position uh, in the in in the game since uh, you know people recognise the value of fullbacks. So. Uh, Chelsea have simply got to get uh, Romeo, the guy they've got from Barcelona, is far and away the best choice they've got. He didn't play yesterday, unfortunately, should have done. But they have to find a player through whom they can play the ball out. And uh, Romeo certainly got more chance than either of the two that they used. Um, admittedly, they, they had the sense to take Mikel off at half time, and thereafter things improved radically. Ben, is Paddy being a little bit harsh on Mikel and Romeo? I mean, we're talking about a Chelsea team that won the double two years ago and that finished second in the Premier League last year, mm. despite injuries and despite... You know the, yeah. the sort of the manager knowing he, his season was over uh, uh, come March. Uh, is, is Paddy in slightly hard? Are you going to stick up with, or are you going to join Paddy in uh, uh, no. in, in the, the, the the crucifixion of Messrs Ramirez and Mikel? I think Chelsea's problems go far deeper than one one player at the moment. Um, I think Mikel is a is a problem, and it hasn't looked like the player we thought he was going to be for some time now. And I think that is an issue for Chelsea. But I think their problems run deeper than that I think you look at the back four the communication between the centre backs has been a real problem this year mm. um, David Luiz yesterday much has been said and written about it already but the, 
communication between him, him and John Terry was was woeful. I mean, at some points there just wasn't any, and, and Louise was he was off playing offside, and Terry was back. There was no look or glance or word to say, "Come on, that, no, here we go, chaps." You know, I, I think that Ashley Cole getting nutmegged by Glenn well, <laughs> Johnson and Jordan Henderson twice in the space of two minutes. I think when's the last time that happened? Well, exactly. I, I think unless you have that solid foundation, those three players at the back, the two centre halves, and you're you're holding midfielder, you, you're in a real you know you're in a bind from the start. I think Mourinho. Mourinho's Chelsea had that nailed down. You had Cavalio, Terry, McAlady, and then on those three players. Why does it go back to Mourinho's Chelsea? There no, have no, been no, no. managers but, since then. But, been... but I'm talking about defensive stability, yeah. and, and you look at that yeah. for for the example. I mean, uh, and, and all of a sudden, Chelsea don't have that. Cavalio and... was 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 properly yeah. replaced by Alex, but uh, you know, for one reason or another, he he became unavailable through injury and uh, <laughs> playing for another club. So uh, I mean, it, it, it's. Basically, you cannot afford a player like Luis. He's got, he's got a, an immense ability, but I haven't the faintest idea where he could play. No, I agree. I, he, I, can't, well, he can't, he couldn't play holding midfield he, player because he's not responsible. Ollie, doesn't want to defend. Um, Ollie, uh, two, two things I want, I want to chuck at you. Um, um, first of all, on David Luiz, um, he played for for Brazil uh, over the break recently and wasn't marauding. Sat there, played very well. Was very disciplined. Um, at some point, when, when when you see such a disparity, you know between uh, a performance in one context for a player um, and a performance at club level, do you start to maybe question the manager and the people who are who are coaching them when it's the exact same guy? Uh, and secondly, on John Terry, it seems to me, and somebody else pointed this out, that the kind of mistakes he's making are the kind of mistakes that you're actually not supposed to make as you get older uh, mistakes to do with, uh, um, with with positioning perhaps with reading of the game and, and so on it, it, does that strike you as strange um, I think if you look at Terry I mean he, he, his performance his form over the last 18 months or so has been a lot poorer and I, I, I think an awful lot of that comes down to I mean obviously there's, there's the fact that he's getting older and pe- people might look at, the, at that as the obvious thing or they might think oh well he's had such a lot going on with his life he's clearly um, distracted I, but I, I think the big issue with Terry is um, the fact that he, he has never been as comfortable as he was when he had Cavalio alongside him I think Cavalio was one of the most underrated players that we've had in English football in the last um, 10, 20 years. It's just a fantastic reader of the game. And at that time, that was exactly what Terry needed to have alongside him. If you look at Terry now, he's, he's a little bit slower. He's maybe not able to um, get all over the pitch, get, get his head, get his feet and body in the way of everything. It's almost like the Jamie Carragher thing. He almost needs his partner now to to be able to do what he, what what he used to do. He needs to be, have a dominant uh, and yet uh, impeccable partner, and and he's got not none of those things in, in Louise. I, I want to turn the subject a little bit to uh, to Andre Bush because you know he came out after the game and and, and he said, uh, well, you know, the, they paid fifteen million for my services and they're paying me a lot of money and would cost them. Um, you know, a huge amount to sack me, so I'm sure I'll be given time. And you appreciate he's trying to do things differently and, and whatever else. But the fact of the matter is, I don't think that they've lost two consecutive home games um, since uh, since Rainier. I think this is the worst start of the Abramovich era. And if you compare it to his predecessor, um, it's basically it's the same group of players um, plus. You know, spend, plus all the spending that, that that they did in the summer, many of those guys that he brought in. Um, Patty, how much of an excuse 
are you, how much leeway should we be giving Phyllis Boas in the media, and how much leeway should um, Abramovich be giving him? Oh well, I mean, I think if, if you know the, the comparison with Liverpool is 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 there. You know, I mean, Dalglish has had a year nearly um, at Liverpool. He's made such a, a stark improvement. I mean, but on the morning of the match, we were saying, God, this is going to be interesting. You know, Liverpool have been uh, dropping, dropped eight points in six home games. Uh, you know, are they? Are they in trouble? Um, uh, you know, what What this game told us, you know, one of these teams had to stand up and it was Liverpool. But um, Villas Boas needs those extra months that Dalglish has had. And uh, I, I just think it, 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 of course, we have to judge them now. But, you know, he doesn't want, like using the word transition, but I, I'm not afraid to. They are a team in, the, in transition. Everyone has known that. For the last five, six years, people have been uh, saying it's an aging squad. And, and of course, <laughs> even though you keep buying younger players, all the other ones get a year older. I mean, Lampard was significantly... They needed a performance from Lampard yesterday. Didn't get it. Um, didn't get it, but we've discussed Terry. You know, this is... A so you're club. not blaming the manager, basically. You're saying no, it's no, a transition season and so on. And I think he's, he's trying to balance so many things. He's trying to rejuvenate the team. He's trying to change the style uh, because he was partly brought, I would guess, by Abramovich because uh, Porto played with such a, an attacking uh, style of football under him. And, uh, well, it's not like Chelsea were a defensive team before. No, they scored no, like no but I think... Goals I, I think it's 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 sort of been well leaked that um, that Abramovich wants a team that that wins with some adventure and some swagger. So play you, David Luiz at the back. Get <laughs> no, but, I mean, get, but, this, but, sorry, but this is the part I don't get about 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 the manager. I'm sorry about the owner. And and to me, all um, I want to hear from you on this as well because I this is where I put it on Roman Abramovich's shoulders. So you bring in Ancelotti and you say, we want to win the Champions League, we want to win now with these players because it's financial fair play and, and whatever else. And okay, you, you, know, you win the double and then you finish second in the other year, you don't win the Champions League, and then you don't like him anymore and you're going to rip up the blueprint and you're going to go in a different direction. That's fine. And so, for, well, first of all, actually, you don't actually make that decision to commit to Villas-Boas until the end of June because you spend all this time messing around with, with Goose Hitting or whoever you're messing around with. But once you've committed to Villas-Boas, you have to give him the tools. Uh, Ollie, I look at this team and all the old guys are still there. These are old guys. They could have bought their contracts out. They could have, they could have moved them on. You've got very talented young players like Lukaku, Josh McEachran, who aren't going to get on the pitch. If you're transitioning... You know, you got these guys there. You either send them out on loan or you use them. It makes no sense to have them to have them sit, you know, to act as tackling dummies in training. Am I wrong here, Ollie? No, you're absolutely right, and it's Thank you. Uh, and it's indicative of of everything that has characterised the last few years at, at, at Chelsea. There's no, I mean, I've said this so many times, but there's no direction, no leadership, no strategy, no. There's no idea. There's no vision. There's no philosophy. Should he sack it, the chief executive then? 
well, I, if you're I, Abramovich, who can you sack to I, fix it? I mean, the chief executive's um, done a pretty lousy job in making himself sufficient, hasn't he? But but the um, but I, I, I don't think he really has any power. It's all it all goes on the whims of Abramovich. Whether it's uh, give me somebody to sack. I'm Abramovich. Well, I want to sack somebody. Well, it's not a case of sack if I can't someone. sack Villas Boas. I got to get rid of somebody, right? I, I wouldn't sack Villas Boas, but I wouldn't necessarily have appointed him in the first place for that particular challenge. And I, I think if you go back to the summer, I think people thought, God, that's a bit risky. A guy who's managed for a season and a half going into a, a, a job like that, which is going to be a, a huge job in terms of man management, personalities, everything, and tr- you know, changing the changing an, an entire team. But the, um, I mean, it's, it's not really a case of sacking anyone. I, why hasn't Abramovich got any football brain around him? He, he's, he used to have Frank Arneson, who I know people will look at the, the, the kids that he signed and say, well, that you know they ended up no good. But he was at least a, a football person. Instead, he's got so, Michael Emanalo as his technical director, who's basically another buddy of Am- Avram Grant. Um, Ollie, though, you, you said no football people. I mean, you may not like Emanalo, but he is a football person, right? And also, I got to take it, you don't buy the fact that Goose Hiddink has been uh, Roman Abramovich's muse lurking in the shadows and whispering sweet nothings in his ears all, all those years? No, I think I think Hiddink has been, has been consulted, but I don't think he's been heavily involved in strategy. But the, the, the point is that there is no one around Abramovich that says, look, this, is, this isn't a good idea. Why don't you think of this? He's... he's I've got respect for what Abramovich has done in terms of changing Chelsea as a club, but but the last five years, I, th- I think he's, I think the decisions he's made have turned a position of incredible potential. I, I think Chelsea have been a failure the last five years. You can say that they've reached so many Champions League semi-finals, etc., runners-up however many times in the Premier League. But I I, I think the whole thing just show, the, the way Chelsea have gone the the whole awkwardness, instability of this transitional period, the uncertain future, it reflects awfully on Abramovich's uh, judgment and grasp of football. Uh, ben, I'm going to give you the final word. Maybe you'll remind Ollie that Chelsea also did win the double, um, not a hundred years ago, but just two seasons back. I, I think this goes. This issue goes to the very heart of the problems at Chelsea. You, you can't have transition at Chelsea in some ways because the pressure to win is always there. Um, but if you do sack Ancelotti, which I don't think was the right decision, and you employ a 33-year-old manager, you have to give him time. By the very nature of employing a 33-year-old manager, come what may this season, they have to allow him to rebuild this side. Simple as that. Guys, I'm going to leave you with uh, one incredible thought here. We've spent all this time talking about Chelsea and Liverpool. We haven't mentioned Fernando Torres once. Torres, of course, came on, uh, I think, for the last eight or nine minutes in that game. I, I, I don't know... If it means that he's transitioned into into irrelevance at this stage, or or whether nobody thought fit to to question his exclusion, maybe we should need to get used to it. But uh, but one thing's clear to me, at least, uh, he's got a long way back. You know, every week uh, I I sit and I pick two games to talk about in our Premier League review, and I always get accused for of overlooking the little ones. So um, this week we're going to do a little change. Let's talk some Wigan. Let's talk some Blackburn here in a game that was uh, very eventful. Um, let's get this out of the way because I, I don't want to just make it seem like it's a big freak show and Benkies and Keen and all this stuff. Um, the corner kick, uh, for those who didn't see this, Yakubu goes up, puts the ball down with his hand, and then walks away from it. 
Pedersen perhaps thinking that uh, Yakubu had uh, had touched the ball and so the ball was in play, perhaps just flat out cheating, just takes the ball and runs with it, which is obviously illegal. You're not allowed to do that. And then he um, he crosses the ball and I believe it was Hoylet putting the ball in the net. Um, I don't know what more we can say about this, uh, but I am curious about one thing. If Yakubu had touched it, would we be giving points for being clever, or would we be calling it calling it a bit of a lack of sportsmanship, Patty? No, I think we would have been calling him clever. Uh, Deception? I, I, mm-hmm. uh, craftsmanship, you know, craftiness. Uh, I, I don't don't mind any of any of that at all. Um, um, but uh, I just think it's one of those things. Yes, it was technically wrong, uh, but do we want uh, referees like uh, Andre Mariner looking for? You know, it's, 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 it's the mood of it's it's the, the, one of the curses of the time. The second guessing. I want my referee doing what Mariner was doing, which is concentrating on sorting out um, the impeding in the box. Uh, you know, until we get the two extra officials that Platini likes so much, uh, the referee's always going to have to do that rather than look at million to one chances out on the corner flag. I don't think it technically really desperately matters either. It, it's just one of those quirky, rather enjoyable things. It's, it's a strange one. United scored a goal, uh, I think Ronaldo scored it a few seasons back, which in a very similar situation that was yes. ruled out. Yes. Um, and the rule has recently changed from the ball having to travel over its circumference yep. because apparently referees were finding it difficult to judge whether the ball had rolled over a circumference or not um, to the ball has to just move, mm-hmm. which is actually far harder to see, I think. Mm. Um, and that is obviously, I mean, I don't think there's any debate that Yukubu did touch it because I, don't, I, I think he said himself he didn't. But if Mariner hasn't seen it and his back is turned, and as Paddy said, he's looking at what's going on in the penalty area, if he hasn't seen it and he's not sure, then I don't think he can allow the goal. Right. Uh, I'll uh, tell you one uh, thing. Well, sorry, uh, Ollie, um, you're, you're, you live closer to qualified referees than we do. Um, I, I don't, here's what I don't understand, right? So I'm assuming the, the assistant referee was on the opposite side of the pitch, so that's fine. He's got to look through a whole you know, forest of players. But the referee on this side, I'm assuming, is up by the halfway line and has a completely unimpeded visual down to the corner flag. Mm. Now, I realize it's far away, but he can actually see what is happening, right? Um, Should he have picked it up? Or, in fact, let me go even further. Should he just not, should we look at the rules and just not have him stand a million miles away in his own half and actually on, on corner kicks have him come down and help out a little? Well, I don't think linesmen are generally athletic enough. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. To react, react to the counter-attack counter and sprint 80 yards in, um, in 10 seconds or whatever if they need to. But I, I think, um, I mean, is this not an issue where Michel Platini's fourth and fifth officials could be useful um, I know they don't, I know they get a, a bad press and people say what's the point of them but I mean they, they could keep an eye on that kind of thing and, and, and there are their, their brief is to um, intervene when when invited to by the referee rather than to uh, intervene constantly so I mean I, I think that's the kind of area where they could get involved but I, I, you know I also ended up thinking after this game this goal was that um, what's wrong with a, a, a guy dribbling in from the exactly. corner flag, taking, taking exactly. a quick corner kick that way. I mean, it's of many very silly. I mean, somebody needs to go through the laws of football. I mean, it was done about ten or twelve years ago. It wasn't done very well. Going through the, the laws of football and working out what do we need these things for? I mean, the other one is why does the ball have to be at a standstill when you take a free kick? I mean, you should be able to volley a free kick if you're clever enough. I mean, the, the, the thing is, anything that gives an advantage to the attacking side and a moving free kick, uh, a dribbling corner, anything like that should be encouraged, not proscribed. What about throttlings? You could have some You could have I, some guy who can a shot putter and, like, it, it, and the, everybody would the, be worried to laugh. We could do it problem, that way. Yeah, the problem you would with, shoot straight on goal. Wouldn't that be exciting? Allowing throw-ins to be taken by the foot is... Uh, no, no, it, I'm not it, saying by the foot, just with the hand, like the, with the way goalkeepers do it when, when they chuck the yeah, ball up the yeah, pitch. Yeah, 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 yeah. You okay I, with that? I, I, I think that needs a bit more thinking about. Um, but it, 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 we certainly need a proper intelligent reappraisal of the laws, which I think are, are, at the moment are far too negative. All right, back to the game itself. Um, this whole thing turned late in the game. I mean, Paul Robinson made some fantastic saves. Uh, late, late, late in the game, uh, he's up for uh, for corner kick. And, and, and James MacArthur goes out and basically karate kicks him in the head. I, I don't know if it was maybe like, you know how like some animals like have difficulty spotting colors and obviously Robinson's jersey different from the other Blackburn players so he doesn't see him. Mm. Um, I, I, I was just absolutely shocked because he could have really removed his head. Mm. Um, that uh, that then leads to the the, the penalty which leads to, to, to the equalizer. Um, and it was funny because I got some, some tweets from some friends who are Blackburn supporters and they were like, oh no, Steve Keane is going to spin this as to talk about his spirit and now we're stuck with him for another week. Um, Ollie, you're, you're up there in lovely Lancashire, sort of. Um, <laughs> is the anti-Keane camp now so big that they actually maybe wanted Rovers to lose uh, so they could get rid of this uh, of this guy? 
Well, they might look at it and think that a point really doesn't really make um, a great deal of difference to the to the bigger picture. I mean, there is undoubtedly an awful lot of hostility to um, to Steve Keane, and and people look at it and think, well, this just isn't working. They sacked Allardyce on the evidence of three or four games, which included the odd win. Um, why are they sticking with this guy after what is it? I mean, it's nearly a year, and they've won something like six games in 20, 2011, something like that. But, I mean, I, I, I do agree with Keane when, when he talks about the performances. The performances aren't really that bad. They they, they deserve to be in a better position than they are, but I, I just think that they're, they're one of these teams that seems to be um, sort of shrouded in negativity, and sometimes that becomes a bigger issue than the uh, the competence of the manager itself. It, it becomes defined by the negativity, this sort of dark cloud that hangs over a club, and the manager either does or doesn't have the ability and energy and motivational powers and, and so on to lift it. And it seems like one of those situations, rather than one that where you're saying this, manage, this guy is clueless, you look at the performance and say, well, he's actually doing something right. The players still react, respond to him. The players are still playing for him but it just looks like one where where the mood around you know the supporter to, to you know the supporter to team mood supporter to management mood becomes so dark and so damaging that you think change might over time become inevitable okay uh our debate this week we're not going to debate what Sepp Blatter said unless somebody feels very, very strongly that Sepp Blatter was 100% correct and that there is no problem whatsoever in race, in, in, with, with racism in football and that if you are racially abused by an opponent, you should simply um, shake hands, apologize, and let him off. Turn well, the other cheek because it worked for Jesus Christ. Uh, does anybody, anybody share that viewpoint? No. Good. So now we can move on. Ali, um, on the issue of whether... I want to get your take on, on this point about whether a, a player who who is racially abused is obliged to step forward if nobody else heard the abuse, if it's just him and his uh, and his accuser. Does he need to step forward, um, or could there be a situation where, for whatever reason, he would rather not? Maybe because he he said horrible things about the other person. Maybe because he tried to injure him. Or whatever the case may be. Maybe because he he doesn't want to get the other person in trouble. Well, I mean, th- this argument has come up with the with the Anton Ferdinand issue, where people have well, the, the odd Chelsea fan has said to me on Twitter, "Oh, well, did you not see Anton Ferdinand? Did you not hear that Anton Ferdinand said something outrageous about John Terry's private life?" Now, given that John Terry allegedly is perpetrator rather than victim of those things. I would say that's almost, I mean, it's, it's sledging to use the cricket term, but I would say that's more fair game than abusing a guy, whether John Terry did it or not, over the cover of his skin. It is not the same thing. Um, Anton Ferdinand, if he said something to John Terry, might have felt a bit queasy about the idea of um, going to the FA or going to the police or whatever, but he needn't do because because racial abuse if it happened and if it happened in the Suarez ever case is on a completely diff- different scale it, it, it's it's 
horrific. It's abominable. It's it's yeah, it's everything like that. And right. as, as to whether people have a, a an obligation or a or a obligation to remain silent or whatever whatever we live in a you know football is a game now where people lie about everything in order to get other people in trouble on the pitch. People you know people will pretend they've been hit in the face pretend they've been you know pretend they haven't touched a ball or, or they'll dive or whatever to think that there's some kind of moral code to keep racism and racial abuse quiet is um is is nonsensical i'd, I'd much rather we had an honest game in which um something as serious as that was um was considered out so outrageous that people automatically uh went to the authorities and, and, and could be believed let me let me make this i'm gonna try this again because this was made very clear and it's made it's fine fault for not explaining this properly this is made very clear to me by somebody around set platter about what he was driving at and it is this okay imagine there is a scenario where a black player goes and tries to break somebody's leg um, or, or does so, and the aggrieved comes out with a racial epithet in anger back mm. at it. Mm. Imagine there's, an, there's, a, there's, a, there's a scenario, I mean, this happened to a, to a well, in fact, I think I can, like, well, I don't want to name who it was, but I was an England player a few years ago who told me that he once, and he felt horrible afterwards, but you know, he abused um, another player. Uh, they were getting into it with each other, but for you know, mocking the fact that uh, the, the kid had just had a, a kid's wife had just had a baby, or partner had just had a baby that was born um, with, with major birth defects, and then it died. Mm. Right. So you you hear these things. There's horrible things that can be said. In that scenario, if it's something that's clearly said, in that scenario, if somebody if there's racial abuse with it, it's is it imperative that the player should the, 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 must the player come forward if the player does not want to come forward? And I think we can all think of at least one case where a player was racially abused and didn't want to come forward because he felt that he dished out just as bad, you know, he dished out abuse that was just as bad. I'm not talking about Ferdinand and Terry. I'm not saying specific. This was Blatcher's point. I think in theory, there should be a situation like that. And if you can resolve it amongst yourselves, that's better than having people lip read cameras from a distance and, and things like that. And I, I don't know exactly how I feel about Blatter's point, but I just wanted to get that across and maybe then explain it properly. Ben, I, I take, I take your point on that. I can see why Blatter's um, point. Yeah. I can see the, the clarification there and I can see why, um, if a player who has been racially abused doesn't feel that he wants to report it, then p- perhaps we shouldn't be forcing that player into doing it. But that that in some way excuses, in my view, racial abuse. It allows it to, to happen and to go unpunished. And I, I feel very uncomfortable about that idea that that whatever is said to someone to provoke them racially abusing someone in response can never be acceptable and even if that player is not comfortable with going ahead and and, and taking that on and saying I want to prosecute this guy because he said this this and this I think to allow it in our game is, is simply wrong I don't think it can ever be excused and so would you punish a black player who is racially abused and doesn't come forward 
would I punish a black player who is racially abused and doesn't know? Not at all, no. Well, I mean, uh, don't we have laws in this country where if you no, if you're if party you, to if, a crime and you don't report it? No, no, I think if you... I mean, if, if, you, you, take will, it to, if you take it to the next level, yeah, isn't but, that... But I think if you walk down the street from here and someone punches you in the face and you don't want to go to the police to report them, then, no, you know, I don't think anyone's going to come and say... Think, you, but if a player on the pitch gets but, racially... You know, but yeah, I think but, I to draw the analogy with, for example, a woman who's the victim of domestic violence. If her, her husband is, is finally brought to book by a third party, um, he and she should not be tried, uh, he for the actual violence and she for not reporting Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Right. I think, so I think that the, there should be an obligation, but I don't think there should be punishment for someone who succumbs. Yeah. You know, Absolutely. But I think to allow it in any form, even if the player himself doesn't want to come forward, I think to allow it to happen in any form, if we are able to prove, which is very, very difficult, as we found, it, that it has taken place, then we have to we have to punish it. As Paddy says it can't be allowed in any form. In I, this, I, in I also thought uh, I also said I'd like to qualify. <laughs> if, if this doesn't sound odd, I'd like to qualify the phrase zero tolerance. The the uh, 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 the incident you outlined, in in which a player had his leg deliberately blo- broken. Uh, th- thank God, uh, you know I'd like to think this is mythological or apocryphal. Um, it, 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 it then was hypothet- utters, that one was hypothetical. Utters as part. Yeah. Hypothetical utters as part of his response something that uh, that is racist. I think the circumstances should be taken into account. Yes, Ollie. I mean, if if a guy has his is his leg broken, yes, he's the victim. But if he if he responds to that with racial abuse rather than abuse, then then that is that is a crime in itself, isn't it? You know, even a, you know in a you know a crime of passion or whatever you'd call it. You know, it's. I, I could understand anger, but but the, mm. if we're moving towards zero tolerance of of racism, it has to be zero tolerance. And uh. and the idea that um, you know, I mean, <laughs> it's always got turned on its head this week. People have said, well, you know, Gus, Gus Poyet, I thought he'd come out with some absurd stuff. Yeah. He's sort of saying, oh, you know, you've got to understand, you've got to welcome people to your country and, and understand other cultures. Has anything good come out of this? I mean, are, are we a bit are we a bit better after this? Because I just feel like, you know, we've had racial abuse from crowds and stuff like that, and it's been discussed and, and, and whatever. But in terms of racial abuse between between players, between fellow professionals, I just kind of looked at it as something that didn't really happen, not just in England, but around Europe. There are very, very few cases of it that, that you heard of. And now all of a sudden we've had, we've had, these, we've had these two cases. There was another case uh, uh, between uh, Javi Garcia and, and Alan in, in, um, in, in Portugal. Um, there was the allegation Luis Fabiano, sorry, no, Luis Fabiano of uh, Canute and Sask in, uh, in, in, in Spain, which that ended in a handshake and no charges. And then Blatter's comments, and I kind of feel like, hadn't we moved past all this, and now it all comes back? Is this a, a good thing that this has all come up? Because it kind of maybe also reminds us of how vigilant we now are and how seriously we take it. Or is it maybe the, a sign that the tide is turning a little bit for the worse? It certainly hasn't felt like a very good good thing. It hasn't felt like it's very pleasurable to report on and comment on these past few weeks. But it's... Um I guess the only um, positive, really, is that you know it rids people of the idea that the battle has been won and, and that it's you know it's an ongoing battle that there can be no room for complacency and, and that it has to be um, it has to be 
looked at constantly and, and, and you know these these anti-racism weekends or whatever in the Premier League they, they have to be more than just lip service or more than a token issue of managers wearing um, badges <laughs> on, on, their, on their lapels or whatever but it's um, I mean let, let, let's try John Terry has not been charged never mind found guilty yet Suarez has not been found guilty but there have been this spate of uh, incidents I mean the, the other one that came to mind when you mentioned it Gab was the um, Busquets and, and Marcelo um, in the Champions League semi-final last season and, and that got dealt with very quickly by I can't remember it, it, yeah it was it was UEFA decided there was no case to answer and I would think after all of this after the, the way that the FA are, are dealing with this and the police are, are dealing with it in the, in, the, in the Terry case I would think it at least would send out a message to the other football authorities in other countries and to UEFA and FIFA and everyone else that these issues have to be taken really seriously because if you don't, if you just blindly sweep them under the carpet and in the hopes that people you know, forget about them, as, as was the case in, the, in Busquets, Marcelo, um, that you're basically allowing a situation to, um, to spread, aren't you? Hey, how about some quick hits? I know Patty's up for them. Arsenal win again, defeating Norwich 2-1, but Per Mertesacker makes headlines for the wrong reasons. Again. Patty, is it time for Wenger to cut his losses? And what happens when Bakari Sanya returns and Koscielny takes his rightful place in the middle of the defense? Or does he? Yeah, he does. I think on on form, uh, Koscielny and uh, Vermaelen is a very good partnership. Uh, but what happens to Arsenal when Bakari Sanya returns? They improve. You can bet your life. And Merdesaka may have to fight his way back into the team. But uh, he'll be a good, he'll be a decent squad player despite his horrendous error. Uh, on Saturday. What I find so difficult to understand about Merchisacker is that he's made a lot of mistakes, but they're all different mistakes. Sometimes it's because he's not quick enough. Sometimes it's because he's not strong enough. Sometimes it's because his timing is wrong on his jump. Sometimes he mishits the ball. It's, it's remarkable. Such a great player making so many different kinds of mistakes. Manchester United win their fifth straight in all competitions, but they weren't exactly impressive against Swansea. Ollie, what does Sir Alex need to fix? Um, I think he needs to derail Manchester City somehow I think that's his, his big concern at the moment if Fogie talking at the start of the season was saying 84 points would be enough to win the league and if you look at Man City at the moment they, they, they look like they are going to defy any, you know, any, any such prediction and that City uh, and that United will need to get aim a lot higher to win the league but I, I, I've always said that United's problems are in midfield they don't really control games as, as they used to they don't dominate and they don't really excite um I'm sure they will pick up, but they're not really thrilling. After spending big in the summer, Stoke crashed to their fourth straight defeat in the Premier League against QPR. Uh, but Ben, they were rather unlucky with some of those refereeing decisions. Um, are Stoke going to be okay, or is uh, something wrong in Pulis land? I think they were unlucky, Gab. Um, I think the one thing that's wrong in Pulis land is the Europa League. I think they're having to deal with a new distraction, which they've done very well in. Uh, their record post-Europa League is atrocious. Um, and so hopefully over the Christmas period, we'll see that settle down. But I don't think it's a problem per se. Uh, I might add that for all the uh, pulling of hair and gnashing of teeth, Stoke only have one fewer point at this stage than he did at this point last season. 
When asked about some of the dubious officiating in Stoke, the always humorous Neil Warnock joked, I'm Arsene Wenger. I didn't see it. <laughs> Patty, do you appreciate Warnock's humor? Are you slapping your knees? Or is his joke a little too retro, given that Wenger hasn't used that line in years? Uh, that's a fair point. But I, I'm never going to criticize anybody, least of all Neil Warnock, for uh, attempting a little bit of humor. Um, it, it, it was fine. <laughs> My word, retro or what? <laughs> Manchester City dispatched Newcastle 3-1, barely breaking a sweat. Uh, Ollie, can you spot a weakness in this City side right now? I think the weakness is, I mean, if you look at the, the, the team last season, on, on paper it was it was brilliant, 1-11, or even 1-18, it, it was brilliant, and um, and it didn't live up to that on, on the pitch or in, in the dressing room as a, as a unit, but um, they seem to have corrected that this season, they, they seem to all be performing as a team and behaving as a team, apart from that little Argentinian guy whose name I've forgotten, and um, yeah, as long as they... As long as they stay united with a small U, they'll be fine. But uh, the, 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 the unity is the, is, is the one real doubt about them. I think personnel-wise, they're great. It was Newcastle's first defeat of the season, and admittedly, Czech Chote wasn't available, which really didn't help. Uh, ben, they have United and Chelsea next. Is this when the tune comes crashing back to earth? Maybe. Uh, I think the, the fixture list has been very kind to, to Newcastle up till now. It's not very kind over the next month or so. Um, but they weren't all that bad on Saturday. They had chances and uh, there are clearly more things right there than just confidence. So United and City, obviously very difficult games. Chelsea at home, I think they'll fancy their chances. Chelsea at home at what stadium? St. James's Park and nothing else. Anyway, Gab, one for you. Borussia Dortmund started the season slowly in the Bundesliga, but wham! Uh, this weekend, they went to FC Bayern and won 1-0 with a goal from Mario Goetze, the best young player I've seen for many, many years. So Borussia Dortmund, Jurgen Klopp's Borussia Dortmund, are they turning it around? Yeah, so far so good. I mean, they lost uh, three of their first six games of the season. Um, that a lot of people thought that they were going to struggle and get classic sort of second season uh, syndrome. I mean, second season at the top, obviously. Um, but you know, Shaheen's gone. Uh, Gundogan's taking him a while to replace him. Um, but uh, but what, what I find amazing about this team is how Klopp has sort of added this whole pragmatic element to it. Uh, Lewandowski compared to Barrios is much more movement oriented, not as clinical a finisher. But certainly works much more for the team. I'll tell you what, one little facet of the game that I think sums up Klopp. Uh, they're away from home against Bayern. They're winning one nail. They've moved within two points. Bayern have them under siege. They're chucking on forwards and wingers. They're pushing forward. Now, standard operating procedure at that point if uh, for a team is, hey, I'll take off an attacking player and I'll bring on uh, an experienced defender or defensive midfielder, right? Well, what does Klopp do? He takes off Sebastian Kale, his defensive midfielder, the oldest, most experienced uh, player on the team, and he replaces him with this 18-year-old wunderkind, uh, Moritz Leitner, who uh, is sort of a box-to-box midfielder, runs around like a maniac, and it works. I love Klopp. So counterintuitive. That's all we've got time for this week. But remember, you can go to www.thetimes.co.uk. You'll find your news, your gossip, your analysis. You can also follow us on Twitter. And there's also our web chats. Uh, Patty's is on Mondays. Mine is on Tuesdays. And Ollie Kay's on a Wednesday. Till next time, goodbye. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on. Settings. 
so you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.